0: Good afternoon, all. Hey Dave, how we doing? Not too bad. Got a stinker of a cold, but other than that, it's all good.
1: How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks. Very well. I'm excited for this uh, this podcast this afternoon. Yes, indeedy. We should be a good one. Sorry? It should
0: be a good one. It will be a good one. We're all good. <laughs> but you know, this will be this'll take it to another level.
1: It's even better um, when we a
0: guest on though. Yeah. Uh, today we have Laura Tadrowski, Yeah.
1: Just, just talked about yeah. it, Jesus, <laughs> God. you just got told like I, two minutes ago what her surname was and how to pronounce it.
2: No, you know, I've had people look at my surname before and then and say it Chabugle and it's been that bad, so you did really well.
0: <laughs> there, <laughs> there, there's the title of the podcast, interview with <laughs> Laura Chabugle. excellent. Good, off to a strong start. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to blame my cold um, and the lack of caffeine and stuff. Anyway, how are you, Laura?
2: I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm really well. How are you guys? It's, uh, it's good to be on the podcast. Thank you for having
0: me. Welcome to the most great, professional podcast you. in the world ever.
2: Our professionals overrated. It's good just oh, to have a chance.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, um, I've kind of followed you on social media for a while we had your husband on uh, what, six weeks ago now Callum? Mr Watson it was. the golf fitness yeah. coach
1: six, seven weeks ago, yeah, the golf fitness coach Yeah, that was a cracking podcast as well so. it was,
0: so you've got high standard to live up to Laura.
2: do, mm. he's very charismatic I don't know if I can compete
0: <laughs> we'll find out soon enough Um <laughs> So if if people don't follow you on social media already, can you give us a wee bit of background about yourself, kind of your fitness journey and kind of what you specialise in? Uh, at
2: yes. So um, I guess I didn't really know much about weightlifting. Um, I started off life or fitness life as a synchronized swimmer and um, so I was really water-based didn't know how to lift weights at all and that didn't change until I was 30 um, and that's when I first started lifting weights um, I then got into powerlifting and bodybuilding um, and did those for about five years and fell in love with strength sports um, and with anything kind of gym-based or resistance training it just became my new, my new passion. Um, I started working with a group in Edinburgh called G2G Coaching and they taught me so much and um, so you know my coach through bodybuilding and powerlifting Aidan Donnelly he started G2G um, and then Aidan and Ollie just started training me up on their methods how they did programming and um, I did my PT qualification I, I kept working with G2G and just fell in love with it even more so being an athlete in the sports was one thing, but then learning how to take that passion and try to you know uh, communicate it and and teach others who were just beginning out as well um, was an amazing thing to do. So that continued um until I had my first child, which was now just two and a half years ago. and um, and I found myself through pregnancy, kind of thinking I knew how training should work, but but feeling like I should really do a little bit more research because I found myself in a different situation. so I then um, Through that pregnancy and through the first postpartum period, started to do some qualifications in um, antenatal and postnatal training as well. The main reason for it was that I went into the first pregnancy kind of thinking nothing's changed. I'll do everything as before, which for a large part can kind of be true. But I found it quite difficult to recover after that first pregnancy things didn't quite feel right even a, a year and a half down the line and I, I couldn't quite get back to the performance that I had been used to um, things kept flaring up and I, I kept having issues so that really motivated another qualification um, in, in the postpartum training that was really more looking to do with rehab uh, so when recovery doesn't quite go as well as it should Um, And then I started working with um, postpartum clients and because it became a real passion of mine to try and get women who were really passionate about sport back into the performance that they were used to, you know, something that their sense of self is attached to. um, And that's now become my sort of main um, focus. Um, whereas previously I was doing a lot of bodybuilding coaching for people and 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 just gen pop as well, so it's that's become the new passion now. Um, and I'm now you know recovering um, postpartum period again for my second child, and about ten months down the line there. Cool, it's quite. Uh, it's a big summary.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you didn't
2: want my life story.
0: <laughs> um, how do you find the second postpartum period, given what you've learned over the the first one and kind of the the qualifications that you've gotten and. And experience that you've gained?
2: Um, it's been a lot easier than the first. Um, so both um births were C-sections, um, which in itself maybe takes a little bit of time to recover from and um, a little bit of knowledge, but I think just the confidence with knowing maybe what approaches I could use second time around um reassured me. Um so I was able to sort of put a lot more effort into my training a lot earlier on and also understanding some techniques that I could implement through the second pregnancy that I wasn't aware of in the first um, meant that that recovery has happened a lot faster um, and touch wood I don't want to say this and then suddenly I go pill something 10 months down the line things are feeling normal um, I would say that I could report no issues um, and if not for the screaming little people running around my house I wouldn't feel like I had a child whereas that was not the case uh, first time around.
0: Yeah, I think what's what's interesting from the the women I've worked with kind of through pregnancies and and into the postpartum period is that that can vary so much from person to person. It's yeah, it's really incredible how and even from pregnancy to pregnancy, like you said, you know, the the differences can be quite, quite astounding. Um,
2: I mean, we've got to think about because I think sometimes um, pregnant women or postnatal women are seen as a a demographic you know quite a a niche demographic but there's a whole bell-shaped curve within that demographic um, and a lot that's going to affect how the woman responds both to the pregnant period and the postpartum period depends on who she is you know how she trained before pregnancy what what niggles or issues she felt before pregnancy how her own body responds to it um, and then what she has done through pregnancy which does the postpartum period we're all so different so there's not really like a a general rule of thumb i would even say for you know someone just because they fall under the postpartum category or the the anti category
1: yeah i think it's um it's a really interesting and kind of there's so much information we could cover in this topic so i think um if you don't mind i'm just going to get the ball rolling with a couple of questions that's jotted down from what you've mentioned with your summary here laura um, you mentioned the difference between your pre-pregnancy and um, first time around to your second time round. What, what was it that you did differently um, to essentially, can I use the word rebound? Uh, rebound quicker from your second pregnancy than what your first one would be?
2: Yeah, recover. Um, I guess I used a lot of things proactively that were part of the rehab process that I sort of put myself through after the first pregnancy. So I anticipated the changes that would happen in my body um, and then sort of proactively started doing those exercises early on. Um, in the pregnancy so one that was quite good because I think it um delayed the point at which some deterioration occurred um sort of being very aware of how to keep the core muscles engaged and things I could do for that um and then I also kept practicing techniques so that as soon as I found myself in the postpartum period um they were familiar they weren't things that I had forgotten because they were last practiced you know two years ago Mm. um lots of the training was still the same but I think I maybe understood a little more about how to modify exercises um, because I think there was a big difference. First time around, I just thought if I can do it, I will. And second time around, I thought maybe what's more optimal for the long term strategy here. Um, and I, I modified exercises, not because I had to, could still do the other version, but because it seemed more appropriate given the feedback I was getting from my body. Yeah, solid. That's,
1: that's cool. So what, what was the long term um, strategy that you had?
2: Um, long-term strategy was to recover really quickly because for me, training is so important um, mm-hmm. just to who I am. Um, so important to mental health um, to be able to get to the gym and, and move and so important as well to just to my own identity, which is is something that you can lose a little bit, you know, when you're in those days early on you know and your whole life has changed and you've got a baby I, I wanted to be able to get back to feeling like me so recovering quickly was very important um, and that meant being able to train and um, whatever that might have looked like from you know week two or week three um, after having given up, given given birth um, so the strategy was just different and I think I went into the first pregnancy thinking that once the baby was out things would just go back to what they were like before and I would just be lifting the way I was lifting and I sort of realized that second time around, there's a graded return um, that I think is the best option. Because when I didn't do the graded return first time around, I just kept hitting walls and having to strip back again, running again, hitting the wall and stripping back. Um, and I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to be at 18 months and still getting pelvic pain and back pain. Um, I wanted to be you know, about where I am now and, and enjoying training.
1: Mm-hmm. How did you
0: structure that graded return? How did you, how did you, stru- um... Can put that together?
2: I think it depends, it's very different for different people um, because what happens to our bodies, everyone can be a little bit different in pregnancy with some of the issues they might have left over. But generally, um, I did did a qualification and they gave a rough guideline on what you should be doing um, for getting back just in terms of how to maybe scale volume and then maybe like a hierarchy for what sort of exercises can be coming back first um, and then maybe more complex exercises that would be coming back later. And I really just made sure that I was stable enough um, before putting myself under a lot of load where that stability would be required. Um, And I think that was maybe the main difference. So second time around, I would say there was a really, really, really large focus on unilateral versions of exercises because they highlighted where issues um, were hiding. Mm
1: -hmm. Whereas
2: first time around, I went right back into all the things I was used to just right back into deadlifting, right back into squatting um, where some little differences in my movement pattern between the left and the right hand side were enough to cause flare ups and issues. Whereas by doing the unilateral approach for quite a long time, probably like four or five months um, of, of predominantly moving in a unilateral way, I was able to really figure out where the differences were and um, build back that strength, build back that stability and then progress onto more complex versions of the exercises. I hated it because it's not nice to have weaknesses um, shown uh, to yourself and to, to struggle with a movement where you know you could just put some load on and push through if you changed it slightly. Um, but I think it really lays some strong foundations down the second time around. Yeah.
1: I think that's sorry, going, Calum. Go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, so did you find even though you felt that you weren't able to progress as you know as quickly with regards to the exercises a little bit frustrated and you can go back to your compound lifts, your deadlifts, et cetera? Do you feel that the even though the unilateral work was boring, it was tedious, um, did you find that actually benefited you in the long run once you were able to get back to the main compound lifts that you're that you're actually interested in? Do you feel you came yeah. back stronger almost?
2: It's a really interesting question. I kind of have the perspective now that having had to go through what I had to go through um, has made my actual lifts now better. Um, so I'm the progress is not stopping now that mm-hmm. I'm kind of back doing the bilateral versions. I find like old sticking points aren't really being hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not quite back up at you know full loads yet, but where I would have felt issues previously, I'm not hitting them right now. Um, and I think it's probably like anyone, whether you've had a baby or not, if you spend a prolonged period of time working on your ability to engage your core, working on your ability to um, identify and then improve your weak points and, um, you know, things like stopping yourself rotating into a favorite side. If you spend a prolonged period of time doing all of that, when you then go back to doing, uh, you know, bilateral and very, very heavy movements, that has to benefit you, that, that, that pays off. Um, and I found that a lot of weaknesses that I actually had were always there. They were there as a powerlifter. They were there, I could tell by the side of my back, that would pull if, if a lift went too heavy. And it was, with hindsight, a good exercise to have to spend months and months and months working on those things um, before allowing myself to, to move up. Um, and it was frustrating um tell you doing single leg RDLs with bands coming off every angle. And you don't. it doesn't feel the most satisfying gym session, but it... Um, working on that stability did a lot for me. It's really
1: fascinating because from a from a sporting background, from a sporting perspective as well, I actually bring a lot of that stuff into the program that I do for uh, kind of general population training as well. And in my opinion, I would much rather have somebody go through a prehab phase than a rehab phase. And I think what you yes. have read there is essentially that. You have, you went through this mad pre, prehab phase that was going to help kind of strengthen you up in your weak points and your weak links, et cetera. So when you actually came back to you know 10 months down the line where we are today even though you're not too in your own words where you've said you were before you had your second child you are still able to kind of break through those little barriers that you had prior to having your second child which I think is a really cool realization to have for a lot of people and also for you to even uh, but obviously with your skill set and your knowledge anyway you, you knew what to do but I think if a lot of people can just kind of picture that and hear what Laura said there about kind of focusing on the the tedious the the boring stuff week in week out you get to a really strong position later on down the line
2: i think you can even view pregnancy and i think the second time around as that prehab period like Mm -hmm. it's very difficult i think going into pregnancy what's your objective like why are you training it can feel like it really sucks to not really have that why you're not training for competition you're not training to get stronger some lifts are dropping it's hard to find a why and i think that second time around i viewed that pregnancy period as that prehab like we are training here because coming out the other end, this is going to pay off um, mm. We've got some of the hormonal conditions that are going to persist. We've got maybe some increased mobility that's going to persist. We've got all of these things that are making movement a little bit more difficult. Um, it's not exactly the same. There won't be this big bump afterwards, but there's a lot I can learn now that will get me back to performance and you know goals hmm. a lot faster coming out the other end. And that was a really big why um, through the pregnancy training as well.
1: Awesome. That's really cool. Do you
0: find that a lot of clients buy into that approach? quite easily, or is it a bit of a fight with some people? Like um, so there's going to be a range of of possible responses there, but like how hard is it to get a client to buy into, you know, taking that step back in order to make recovery that a little bit easier?
2: I think I haven't trained as many people pregnant as I have postpartum. Um I'm starting now working with more pregnant people because I because the way I view that process. Um, mm-hmm. and in that sense, maybe because that's my message, the people who I've worked with who are pregnant have had that perspective as well. Um, and they very much come to me with the objective being recovery. And mm. um, I think though saying that as the objective and then being able to hold yourself back sometimes is, is another issue. And I would definitely say there's a difference between what I would call a uh, gen pop versus athletic population. Mm. And with athletic population, it can be very difficult to, um, maybe get them to hold back a little. But I, I think that, you know, every woman is has the right to make their own decisions. And it's, it's also not for me to come in and say, you shouldn't be doing that left or you should hold back. It's kind of just, you know, my job in that situation to try and support them with whatever their goals are through that period. But most people do believe in the ability to recover as being very, very, very important. Um, And it's a a welcome consideration, I think, in in most people's programs. So I haven't had any resistance to the incorporation of those exercises within there. But what I have found is probably my own initial response to them was that this isn't training. I don't want to do this. This (laughs) is boring. This is nothing. Things like with breathing drills. And I had the same resistance when I first encountered them years ago. Mm -hmm. with it not feeling satisfying it not feeling like training and it just being a necessary evil like taking your medicine but um yeah it's tough to make that stuff fun
1: i'm not sure if you answered this at the start of that um of that answer but do you do you find it's easier for um women who have had a second child to go into that kind of one thing that recovery phase than people who are having uh, first-time children
2: yeah, again, talking from a limited a limited sample um, and, and so you know women are so different, but I, I tend to see that when it's a second or third child, I think I've, most I've worked with someone who's had three children, um, that knowledge of what it felt like to try and recover the first time around um, is a massive motivator um, mm-hmm. for structuring that recovery into their training early on in pregnancy. Um, because unless they've maybe been lucky enough to work with someone who knew what they were doing or have like a, a PT guiding them through it, a lot of women maybe don't have the best experience of that postpartum period um, maybe recovery just didn't go as fast as they wanted maybe there was some niggle maybe they just didn't know what to do and felt a bit lost in their body because so much felt different but it's it's not something that many people that i've ever spoken to have the most fantastic memory of so that in itself is a really big motivator for doing it differently second time around
1: mm-hmm. Dave come on back in the room <laughs> Yeah, I'm here. Um, I had a
0: question pop into my head, and it's just gone out. I should write these things down when I think of them.
1: Ah, no, it's gone. It's gone. I just, I just think honestly, it's, um, it's so refreshing. Here there's so, um, there's so much kind of information out there to, to confuse a lot of people. And my wife, um, well, we've got a fourteen-week-old uh, daughter, and even from, she's got. wealth of experience she's worked in women's health before and whatnot and has an understanding but even when she was trying to come back into what she would deem as regular exercise for herself she was hitting these kind of boundaries um, and these these walls that her body would just not allow her to to do it and so it's quite a mental struggle as well rather than just a physical struggle so my question was like how did you overcome the the mental struggles as well as the physical because we can all sit here and talk about um do you know pt exercise etc cetera, etc cetera, but i don't think a lot of people do talk about the, the mental side of things post and um, post um childbirth so how did that affect you and you know can do you have any kind of tips for people to get back into exercise etc that's not just physical
2: um i i think it's really important to first of all and um, kind of manage your expectations Mm -hmm. um, and have quite well-defined goals as to why you're training I think the thing that I found hardest initially was turning up at the gym and my training was so far from what my ultimate goal was that it didn't feel like it mattered it's like my ultimate goal is to lift that that mass amount of weight on that deadlift and here I am Standing holding an 8 kg dumbbell is so far removed that it's hard to buy into what you're doing. So, I think that breaking that long term goal down and making sure that the people that you're working with understand how, you know, that goal in one year or in two years is this goal at one year, and it's this goal at six months, and it's this goal three months from now, and it looks like this one month from now. And this is how your training is building towards that, letting them understand the context. Um, and, and how the goals domino into each other um, helps them believe that there's a purpose to their training. And most people want to do things with a purpose. That's what makes you kind of feel good about doing it. I think secondly, it's maybe um, body image. It's always going to be really, really tough early on because the body's gone through such massive changes and a lot of women will not feel comfortable in their skin um, because of the changes that have happened. And again, having them understand that these changes are normal um, and having reasonable expectations for what the timeline for the body coming back to, you know, say, inverted commas, normal looks like, mm-hmm. again, just helps yeah. because nobody then feels like this is permanent. This is this. This is my body now. This is the mum bod. This is They understand that it's, again, part of a process and the body's healing from carrying a baby takes time. Um, and you know timelines are often quoted. I, I don't like them very much because I think that every woman is very different, and I tend to more put people through a sequence of phases. And someone might pass through a phase in two weeks, and someone else might pass through that phase in twelve weeks or longer. But these are the phases that are involved because it can be nine months, twelve months before your body might feel like it's reversed out of that pregnant state and you know postpartum state, and that would be normal for it to take that long. So the expectations being managed means that people maybe don't feel disappointed or like giving up quite early on um, b- because of what they're going through, just understanding the process.
1: Yeah, so say um, so say people listen to this podcast and, um, you know, you hope the majority of them, you know, either coached by um, one of us, um, but for those who are not being coached by us, what would the sequence of phases look like? Um, but also... If they cannot manage their own expectation, because a client will quite happily come to you and say, look, I want to drop X amount of weight in X amount of days. And you're like, well, everybody's completely different. So as a coach, you have to manage that expectation of that individual. But if that individual doesn't have a coach, what advice can you give them to then help manage their expectations?
2: So these are my views, and this could be different to other people's views or other people who work with clients within this space. But I would say initially um, we want to repair the body um, and let it heal from the inside out. Nature is going to do that. So we have a timeline that's going to be imposed by nature. There'll be some things where nature maybe needs a little bit of a helping hand. Um, but we'll let nature do its job where it can and we'll we'll, we'll train in a way that supports that. Um, so I would initially give someone a sort of... Uh, not rehab rehab's the wrong word but a, a gentle introduction back into movement um, and that can be different for different people but the uh, the qualification i initially did suggest that's about six weeks and um, now that six weeks for you could start at, as soon as that baby's born or that six weeks could start two three weeks down the line but about six weeks just to get your body used to moving again and in this in this phase they typically recommend that you focus on breathing drills um, you focus on um, body weight kind of movements, um, although I have a caveat to that. I, I don't think that's necessarily the most appropriate thing, but th- that, that's what the suggestion would be. Um, and you focus on sort of just gentle walking and things as activity. That's that rehab period, um, and that's because a lot of the internal tissues have experienced possibly some kind of trauma. You know, whether you've had a C-section and you've had eight layers of abdominal tissue cut through, or whether you've had a a vaginal birth and maybe the pelvic floor has experienced any kind of tearing or distress, you want to give that tissue a little bit of time just to recover because whether it's your core, whether it's your pelvic floor, those are both so key to having you move well um, and to giving you stability to your pelvis. And you kinda need that stuff to be healing a little bit before you start putting some stress onto it or asking it anything with a high demand. After those first six weeks, there'd then maybe be about another 12 weeks where you kind of would be beginning to get into exercise. And with this perspective, it's not a case of going back to what you did pre-baby or even what you did while pregnant, because the situation in the abdominal region has really changed. And um, those abdominal muscles have lengthened considerably. The pelvic floor has lengthened considerably. Um, and the pelvic floor is there to stabilize the pelvis from the inside out as well. So we need to give that all time to come back in. So you would probably go to less than what you were doing pregnant um, is, is my view on this, because when the baby is inside, the, the pressure of the baby or the space taken up by the baby within the abdominal cavity creates some abdominal pressure and gives you a lot more stability than you have when that baby and that foot uterus full of fluids is left. There's a lot less stability in that early postpartum period. So you want to kind of build that movement back in slowly, not just assuming you can go back to pre-pregnancy or pregnancy levels. Mm-hmm. but then general principles of s apply and you're just working with that body and making sure that they're always able to move well you know have stability and end ranges of motion and that the load is appropriate um, and what that's going to mean for everyone's going to be different so yeah. you might have one woman and the appropriate load is 60 kilos 10 weeks out from the baby and another woman and the appropriate load is body weight um, it's really going to depend on the person um, and how much control they have And beyond that twelve week period, you're then talking into kind of trying to really build strength back to what we'd consider strong levels, um, where someone is really again working through principles of you know general principles of S&C and just building the program out and out and out. But the rate at which you're able to increase someone's volume or increase someone's load varies from person to person. Some things that are common across all women when they've had a baby and should should definitely be addressed in my view first um, is um, the abdominal region. Um, those muscles have lengthened considerably. A lot of women um, struggle to re-engage the lateral abdominals. So transverse abdominals and internal obliques, anything that's experienced a lot of stretching can take a little while to be able to um, ask a lot of again, or be able to hold a lot of tension or even to make that mind muscle connection, You know, to, to get that muscle to do something can take a long time unless the woman's been doing these exercises through pregnancy and has been keeping that connection there. Um, so I would always build that first. Something else that happens in all women is the pelvic floor becomes less responsive. So normally, um, we would expect that when someone does an inhale and the diaphragm moves down, pelvic floor moves down with that. And then when someone exhales, diaphragm moves up, pelvic floor moves up with that. And that's protective. That's giving us lots of stability. It's the core cool movement that we would expect to see. That a lot of the time needs retrained in someone postpartum. And so in that early recovery period, regardless of the birth, regardless of the women, I would retrain those very key things because if you're not able to control your pelvic floor and protect it and you're not able to control your abdominals and protect that um, connective tissue um, the linea alba you know between the separated rectus and um, sides of the rectus you're not really in a position to be asking it to um, transfer force Um, or to put any any pressure down or pressure out against it. So really key to rebuilding, I would say, is that sort of graded approach, but then also thinking about from the inside out are all the uh, layers of the pyramid there so that when we try to build something on top of it, we're we're not building on a weak structure. Um, So that would be my kind of typical approach.
1: The only caveat I have to that
2: thing about body weight is I kind of disagree with that. I think that, um, asking any woman to stick just to body weight uh, within the first six weeks is not really subjective enough um, for the process because a lot of women especially when they're on their second or third child are picking up 15 to 20 kilo kids and um, these women should know how to squat and, and deadlift that kind of weight as well all the time because otherwise they're on a daily basis and um, not be able to look after themselves just with their daily life so I would say rather than body weight consider more do things that meet the demands of their daily life within those six weeks
1: yeah good caveat i like that i like that a lot that's, that's a
0: good point that's often overlooked though isn't it it's like you know in the postpartum period you should be doing k okay, taking it easy and all the rest of it but a lot of women don't have that option you know it's yeah and it's, it's not be- realistic no it's it, It's not realistic to be told that yeah sorry dave no no, no you're fine absolutely
2: I think the other thing that's not realistic is, um, they very much say, you know, no exercise for six weeks. This is kind of, you know, in the UK NHS perspective, no exercise for six weeks, or they give some very gentle mobility things. And then from six weeks, you see your doctor and they say you're fine to go and exercise off you go do what you want. Fly a little bird and you just run back. That six weeks is just arbitrary. That's, that's, yeah they're the two biggest myths you can do stuff in the first six weeks in fact good tissue healing sometimes requires low level stress so lying i would say bed rest Lying on the sofa is not an optimal way to heal um Mm. low level stress helps the tissue recover and then after six weeks don't just go right back to what you're doing before make sure all the layers of the pyramid are there before you try and put a load on top of yourself um because things have changed
0: that kind of guideline always baffled me when I started looking into it and and doing the the qualification I did and, and you know you're just like so you go from doing literally nothing after potentially quite a traumatic experience and then off you go do whatever you want it just it baffled me but it's good to see there's so much more information going around now and so many more resources for women to structure that recovery period again.
2: It's tough to find. And I think in the UK, it's tougher to find than in the US. So in the US, the American College of Gynecologists and Obstetricians have put out a really comprehensive report. I think it was in 2020, giving guidelines for what women should do in the pregnancy period and then in the postpartum period and this can be understood by anyone not just someone who's you know uh, working as a trainer or a coach this is something that is understandable by the general population if they're looking for guidelines and it dispels with a lot of the myths around what should and shouldn't be done in pregnancy Um, Mm -hmm. and they've put a lot of effort into that and it's been supported by the American College of Sports Medicine so you've got you know sports experts working with gynecologists and obstetricians and all coming together to put out these recommendations for what appropriate exercises, what is contra- what's contraindicated um, and what's not and it does it does really just blow the cobwebs away off a lot of the old wives tales about what the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do is and it's disappointing that the UK doesn't have that resource there um, mm-hmm. and when I would look up NHS websites it was it was dated when I was given advice by midwives and um, it was contradicting what I consider to be this gold standard report that had come from the US um, mm-hmm. and it's hard to find information which i think is one reason why my first pregnancy was so different from my second with having to go through formal qualification and you know medical journals to find what the research actually said um because it was tough to google and find it everything was so contradictory
0: yeah um i'll pop the links to that uh report into the show notes for anybody who wants to look them up
1: uh, you yeah. listen to this I think the, the social pressure and the social expectation that's um, put on women post pregnancy to get back to some form of quote unquote re- kind of reality of what they were doing before they had a the child is, is massive. And it's when people actually think about, you know, what the body's gone through, and how it's how it's dealt with, essentially kind of the biggest trauma it's gone through kind of out with an accident is is ridiculous i mean a lot of people you know aren't expected to go back to any kind of form of sport or anything you know for a minimum of you know depends on what they're doing depends on what's happened but you know broken bones 12 weeks cruciate ligaments can take longer etc but they're still kind of working out or doing some form of kind of baseline stuff but the expectation on um women to go back straight away into kind of whatever they were doing before is is very much there and it's just adding a lot of kind of unnecessary pressure on to what is already an extremely stressful environment. That you know, a new mum or a mum of two or three or four or however many children they have, is um, is just unrealistic at times. Would you, would you yeah, agree? I think
2: there's a lack there's a lack of support. You wouldn't go for um you know if you even had your ACL repaired uh, surgically. You would be given like a physiotherapist, and you would mm-hmm. there would be like a, a rehab portion of that treatment. There'd be some aftercare, um, and yeah. there isn't that for women who've um, had a baby. Now, in a lot of cases, you know, women have babies, and if it's a very simple, no complications, you know, no forceps used, no C-section, um, no tearing, that woman might just be the standard case, and and would probably, if she also happened to move quite well and was was strong, recover, and, and be fine. Um, and that would be okay but there's a lot of women where that's not the case and it would be really good if there was more support or information for Mm -hmm. people so that they understood when something wasn't normal and to ask for help and I think you can see how uh, prevalent the issues are when you realize that what's accepted as normal by women in the postpartum period so women often who've had a kid say "Oh, I've had a kid and that's why um, think it's normal to um, stress urinary incontinence so you know urination on um, coughing sneezing exertion in the gym Think it's normal to have back pain and um, hip pain. Think it's normal to have, you know, one hip that clicks um, and you know impingement. Um, think it's normal to have um, even. Pelvic organ prolapse um, to certain degrees, um, if it's not that bad. think it's normal to have a diastasis that doesn't heal um, and an inability ever to get back to sport. Just see, I've had a kid and it's, it's given as the reason. But these things are prevalent, but that doesn't mean they're normal. And I think what becomes quite frustrating when you start working in this area is that so many people have years of living with these conditions or suffering when the actual... Recovery is so simple. It doesn't cost anything. It's like someone mm. just needs to teach these people, you know, breathing drills. Teach these people, you know, how to engage the pelvic floor. Teach these people how to lift. You can protect your core just by lifting well. Mm. Uh, teaching pressure management internally. All these things would make a life-changing effect on someone who's had a baby versus the current approach, which is six-week checkup, off you go, everything you have is normal. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: And
2: so-
0: yeah, that normalization of this is just how you are now. Deal with it is is a hard one to fight because it's been around for so long, and there is that lack of information. Um, that it's it's a, it's a difficult one to fight. But the more good information that can be put out by people like yourself is is going to start to slowly change that expectation. I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: we're back. Me being a cheapskate means that we uh, have to change Zoom sessions. Um, where were we? I, I was just right in the middle of cutting you off from making a point there. And um, we were talking about um, trying to change the expectations of once you've had a baby, that, you know, all of the stuff that comes along with that is just normal and you have to deal with it. Um, and trying to kind of change women's expectations of what normal could look like. Kind of post part post baby, um, yeah. What are your thoughts on on how we go about that sort of thing? Is it?
2: I think a lot of it is about removing the embarrassment um, associated with these things. Mm. So if any anyone, no one wants to say, yeah, I pee myself when I cough, um, and they probably don't want to go and admit that to the trainer in the gym when the trainer's not even asked them. Like, how is that going to come up in a conversation? people maybe also don't want to admit if there's any sort of sense of pelvic organ prolapse if there's a fe- you know the feelings that can go with it i think first of all having the conversations means that people are able to get feedback that it's something that can be worked with um if it's very um if it's very serious then they can be outsourced uh, and referenced to the relevant sort of pelvic health professionals and physiotherapists if that's what they need but a lot of this can be managed by uh, you know just good lifting technique and when someone is being taught how to lift they're understanding how to manage that intra-abdominal pressure how to do a pelvic floor contraction how to think about pelvic floor relaxation how to not leak and um, how to control that and having those kind of conversations means that people will realize that there is help there from all the different people that they could talk to realize that although it is prevalent it's not normal and it's not something that has to be the way um, and I think a really important part of that is you know the postpartum par you. Um, and the fact that that doesn't look like a park queue for a regular, you know, gen pop um, s- signing up for a, gym se- for a gym session or with training, um, the questions are a bit different. Um, now, some of these questions are invasive. Um, and so it's always, I would say, advisable to let people opt out. This is not information you have to give me. This is not compulsory. This is if you want to have discussions about this. I am open to also having a discussion about this this is this is a forum where we can talk about that and there's there isn't judgment and it's a safe space and I understand this stuff is normal um but also letting someone not speak about it if they want um now I would say that like on these kind of park asking that question you know when working with a postpartum client do you do you leak do you have any feelings of heaviness or bulging um you know down down below do you um asking those kind of questions um means that people understand that there are things that can be done and um, but I think that's that's quite awkward and that can seem like an uncomfortable thing to do um, but I think it's maybe that's probably where things have to change the most mm-hmm. um, I can't comment on how you know the medical profession changes what it does or how the NHS changes what it does but That's definitely what we can do working within the space is make that a safe conversation to be had so that people aren't just keeping those conditions hidden and possibly then being worsened by the type of training that they're doing when the training could actually be helping to alleviate those issues or at least supporting a recovery.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I think that, you know, I think partly that's a confidence issue with, or a comfort issue with, you know your relationship with the trainer that you're working with it's um you know it might even be that working with a female trainer makes that a little bit more approachable because there's a, a bit of relatedness going on there where you know approaching like a, a male trainer there might be a bit of a a block there and but it's kind of normalizing the the process isn't it
2: yeah and i think um working with a female trainer can could make some people feel more comfortable and that that might be an option that they had but i think it's it's a it's a it's a bigger issue because i think if we just look at statistics that two-thirds to three-quarters of pt clients are female and um, these are coming from the us uh, but i would imagine it will be similar across the uk or another sort of western nation and 85 percent of women will have a baby in their lives um again a statistic coming from the us so that does mean that this isn't a minority group uh, this is probably about if you combine those percents about 60 percent of PT clients could have this issue um and it's not even just a postpartum issue females in general can suffer from all of these conditions even without having had a baby and the the, the prevalence rates are really really high um, so if someone had all of these things before having a baby after having a baby it's probably going to be there and a, a bit more ex- a bit more exaggerated as well so I think that Yes, people have to be able to be comfortable, but I think that comfort coming in is more about everyone being willing to have those conversations and for it to be normalized, you know, as normal as saying, you know, do you have piriformis pain? Like, it, it, it should be talked about, that's going to take a long time, but I believe it should be as openly discussed Um where the client is comfortable it's all about the client's comfort level um, but that would be my hope for the long term because I think that's the way that things won't stay hidden and people won't have the support they need is if they're able to um talk about it and not feel shame um or like it's something that shouldn't be discussed
1: yeah no I I 100% agree with you there I think the more people are able to talk about it the better and um Dave I have to slightly disagree with what you said there with regards to you know the male or female kind of PT or trainer I think it's uh, if you have a if you have a client who has or you're coaching a client that is pregnant and then they leave and come back to you is 100% in our scope to ask, you know, questions. Um, obviously based on what Laura said, you know, there's, there's going to be certain questions that, you know, will feel slightly more awkward and it's entirely up to that individual, whether they want to a, ask them or be answer them. But I think, I think it's important for no matter, no matter who the person is to, to at least have that, knowledge as not necessarily a base knowledge but um more prevalent than what it currently is with uh, with coaching um individuals females males whatever you know i think it's important that we all have that absolutely i think all i meant was
0: that for some clients they might be they might not feel as comfortable with a male client uh, a male trainer asking the question or talking about it as much but you're absolutely right regardless of whether you're a male or female trainer, it's the questions have to be at least willing to be asked.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well from like from a coach's point of view, we're all coaches here, but you find that often the 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 harder questions that you have to ask, the more in-depth answers and more greater understanding you will have of the client and where they're at and what their what their expectations are as well. Now obviously there's going to there is going to be certain questions that you know you you, you can say as, as, a, as a caveat like you don't have to answer this to me right now or you can reply them you know however other way of communication there is but um yeah it's, i i've often found in the past that when you ask harder questions you get kind of more detailed and kind of potentially better answers than what you would have done if you just kind of <laughs> <laughs> you know, asked that and question with less uh What's the word I'm trying to think of? (laughs) Less. um, All I can think of Zoom for some reason. (laughs) I know what you mean. It's um,
0: yeah. It's it's been willing to have the hard conversations with people. It's kind of bring bring them forward. Yeah,
1: absolutely,
2: definitely. I think even even not just you know between the PT and the client, but I guess like as a society, like normalising what it means to have a baby and then recover afterwards, and. People just understanding if there were more resources out there and people realize you didn't have to live with, you know, things like that happening to you, um, we'd probably all be more likely to ask for help um, and do the simple things that we just have to do to have life changing results. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think one of the things that's struck me from all the people we've talked to on the podcast is it's having the, the willingness to, one, be very clear on the goal that you have, what you're doing and why you're doing it. To be willing to take a step back where necessary to reassess your approach and then do the, the small things that are actually the big movers towards whatever that goal is. Like We all have these big goals, but not everybody's willing to take the steps back. And sometimes you need to take some advice from a coach or some ex- external sources in order to help yourself take those little steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and I think one thing that's really important is, is the mindset shift that can really help you. Instead of looking at it as, um, you know, a sort of punishment or being held back, I think every single thing that happens is an opportunity to actually come back stronger. And, you know, the postpartum period is the same. you know, some things are different, some things are harder, the body's changed. Again, like I kind of said earlier, it's like an opportunity to learn and to go, Do you know what, I can actually come back as a better lifter because this happened to me, because I'm going to do all these, you know, things that will lead to better lifts long term. Um, a lot of the things that you would never otherwise find the time to do, like force yourself to strip all your lifts right back and, you know, do Bulgarian split squats when you would rather be doing squats like all of that actually has massive benefit in it yeah. so I think that getting a client and, and, and letting them understand that this is an opportunity for growth one you might never have again in your life or one that you will have very very infrequently if you, if you do have more children let's use this time because not only is this about you recovering now this is about you for the next you know 40 50 60 years being in a better place because this happened to you like what can you learn and how can we use this time to to change things otherwise wouldn't have changed.
0: That's and I think ma- for me, that's
2: been a, a massive part of it.
0: Yeah, I think that is, is, should be one of the big takeaways for a lot of people on this listening to the podcast is that it is an opportunity to kind of reassess and, and strip things back and, and build a better foundation um, so that you're you're in a better place going forward.
2: Yeah. And there's this, um, there's this saying that kind of annoys me. I think it can sound like a negative, but you can really flip it on its head and then see it as an amazing thing. Um, and it's, it's often said that once postpartum, always postpartum. Um, and that can sound quite like a negative outlook. When you read that, you think, I'm never going to recover. Like my mm-hmm. body's changed in an unchangeable way. I'm now on this postpartum scrap heap. That's me. But actually, no. It's it's more a case of going. Once something has happened to you, once you've gone through something, you will never forget. Your body will never forget you've gone through it. That doesn't mean you become worse because of it. That could mean that you are stronger because of it. You 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 use that as an opportunity, and mm-hmm. you will never be able to you know erase from your memory. Nor should you want to that 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 your body has experienced something, changed in many ways, and you're now in a different place to you ever were but no one's saying that place has to be negative no one's saying that place has to be worse than or unable to achieve unable to perform weaker that place can be a better place um, and because you have gone through something
0: Yep, and normalizing the expectation that you can come out of it in a better place
2: yeah and I genuinely believe that too I think I love to work with women uh, postpartum especially kind of athletic population because I fundamentally believe when I work with them um that we are going to be able to get them back to a place where they love training again where they feel good and respect their body where they feel proud of what it's done and what it can do mm-hmm. um, and where they're back doing the sports that they love and um, i i it doesn't feel like working with a group where you're sort of you know trying to put on some plasters and send them on their way it's like this this is a powerful period um, and women can come back from this stronger and that's why it's a an exciting time to be able to support someone great yeah,
1: yeah this has been an absolute eye-opener it's been it's been so refreshing to hear and you've obviously got so much um, knowledge and um, i wish we could do maybe further down the line maybe a part two and go into like even more detail about it but it's just been absolutely fantastic to um i'll to be happy to all this i mean i've got scroll even though this is a podcast guys i've got scrolls and notes i'm <laughs> i'm writing down just um because the, the whole reason we take on these guest speakers as well is for for our own learning too and, uh, I'm not going to say that you know I'm able to then all of a sudden take what Laura's you know researched and got qualified in and put into practice myself, but at least have a better understanding of where you know where it all lies. So you know I do appreciate everything that you've said um, so far, and I do I do have a que- I do have a question I do have a question for you. You mentioned at the very beginning about kind of breathing drills, um, and you've gone on to mention that a few times um, in this episode. Could you break it down for? Individuals who may not know what breathing drills are and how how you can do it is it box breathing is it four by four like what, what is it?
2: So I would really just work with looking at the mechanics and what happens when someone takes a breath, um, and that's a really simple thing to do. It's something that we all do every day, but we can see a lot about what muscles respond um, when someone takes a breath. Now a typical breath is meant to occur when a diaphragm, uh, it's a big muscle that goes underneath your um your lungs, pulls down um, into your abdominal cavity and that sucks air in. But there are other ways that can occur. Um, It can also occur because someone uses all the muscles up around the base of their neck and the top of their chest to lift up the weight. To create that space. So what we also want to work with is someone being able to do a really deep breath. And that means they're not, you know, neck and upper chest breathing. They're doing this deep breath that comes from that diaphragm muscle doing the job it should do. Now, our bodies are extremely smart. And when it's working in harmony, and when it's doing everything it should do, the abdominal muscles will expand and relax and lengthen when that breath comes in, you know, creating lots of space. And the pelvic floor will also expand and relax and lengthen. Now that can be used in movement because the pelvic floor is not just the thing that stops you peeing um, or the thing that you do kegels with and squeeze. Pelvic floor is everything that's down deep inside the pelvis. So all the deep hip rotators, piriformis, you know, obturator internus, obturator externus, all these muscles in there that help you with what your legs are doing relative to your pelvis, how deep you get in a squat, that is your pelvic floor. And if your pelvic floor is tight, if you can't relax it on an inhale, when that diaphragm moves down, you will struggle with mobility when it comes to what you can do with your pelvis. Now, The pelvic floor can be tight at the front, at the back, on the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, or it can be a bit lazy on, on one of those areas as well. So by using the breathing drill and getting that cool movement of the diaphragm, or the breath coming in and out with the pelvic floor relaxing and then contracting we can start to get someone's body doing what it should do from the inside out now our body should do this subconsciously it shouldn't be something that we consciously have to think about but when we're retraining those muscles after having a baby in there it has to become conscious because the pelvic floor when a baby's sitting down on top of it or all that weight becomes about 300% of its normal length. It really lengthens and stretches and its ability to contract and relax just go by the time the baby's born. Um, So those muscles need retrained again because they are fundamentally our stabilizing muscles from the inside out. Um, And if they're not doing the right job, it's very hard to get into the right position or create intra-abdominal pressure or engage our core muscles because we don't have those like building blocks, those things that we need, you know, for happening from the inside out and occurring. So that's the kind of breathing drill. But I would start with people doing it in different positions because you might think breathing's breathing. I do it all the time. You put someone on their back in a kind of 90-90 breathing drill. They eventually get it. You then put them upright to squat and you say, do the same breathing drill. Because they're in a different position, gravity's working in a different way. Their organs are in a different, putting pressure in a different way. You put them on all fours. Suddenly everything's falling out against the abdomen. There's no weight on the pelvic floor. The breathing drill changes in each position and the ability of someone to be able to do that cool movement of diaphragm and pelvic floor, engagement of the deep abdominals, relaxation of the pelvic floor, their ability to do that in different positions means they have to practice it in different positions. So when I'm doing these breathing drills, I, I begin with something quite basic where not much is moving. And then I start to change the position the person's in and make more moving parts come in as well so that they learn to keep that cool movement And I drill it till people are sick of it. And then once they're sick of it, I actually tell them to forget about it, not think about it anymore because the body's now just doing it again. You know, it's, it's over its forgetting period and it's all happening without thought, um, which is how it should be. We shouldn't have to be thinking about our breath. We should just be using um, our diaphragm. But one of the reasons this is really important postpartum um, is that a lot of those abdominal muscles in there um, have been lengthened considerably because of the baby. And in particular, the, the abdominal muscles wrap around the body um, now, because of posture in the postpartum period and lots of excessive baby holding because of ligament laxity, a lot of postpartum women end up with what's called an anterior pelvic tilt or a, a sway back posture where they anteriorly tilt and clench glutes. And it's the worst of both worlds. They end up getting quite tight in some places. The rib cage becomes quite locked down and stops moving. They can get lots of tightness in the lower back. These breathing drills actually go right in and work to release that tightness. So by doing these breathing drills, someone starts being able to move their ribs like laterally and they flare out again. They start to be able to relax the muscles in the back, like the QLs, everything above the SI joints. And that in itself then helps to lead towards diastasis recovery. So there's been some studies shown that why do some women keep having a diastasis for two years after having a baby and some women get rid of it at six months? And one of the biggest predictors as to whether or not a woman's diastasis would prevail was her ability to move her ribcage laterally. Um, So these breathing drills go right back, right into the heart of some of the issues that are holding back really key recoveries for the women's ability to use her core. That's why they're a fundamental starting point for me, because they they give us pressure management. They give us low level activation. They make sure someone's lifting well. But they also are very powerful um, rehab exercises for someone who has had a lengthening of the abdominals, a separating of the rectus, and, you know, maybe need some help to have that all come back in together again.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) what an an incredible answer i was not expecting all that detail that's brilliant sorry hey that's that's what that's the whole reason you're here is to to, uh, give answers like that that's brilliant absolutely phenomenal stuff um do you have any resources
0: to help people with that sort of stuff if they were looking for some somewhere to start
2: yeah i guess there's some people that i really rate um there's someone who does amazing videos on youtube called sarah duval Mm -hmm. um and she's actually the person who i did my second qualification with she's a physiotherapist but she specializes in um sort of everything i've not i've not seen a video by this woman where she doesn't just nail it with how she's able to explain it she does a lot on breathing drills um, and on their importance for good movement um she does a lot of videos on YouTube they're excellent and they're pitched at the beginner and they're pitched at someone who's not a coach but is just trying to do them themselves and mm-hmm. um, work with a coach I think a lot of coaches now use these kind of breathing drills and uh, not just in the postpartum context <clears throat> um but yeah I uh, I don't know of any other resource that I could say look up for mm-hmm. amazing material
0: um, I think you've seen some serious stuff and it is top quality stuff it um mm-hmm. it really gets into it very Very simply and and kind of approachable, I guess, because I think when a lot of people look at this stuff, most people don't think about breathing or how their rib cage should move or how the diaphragm and pelvic floor should work together and all this sort of stuff. And it's 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 a it can be an eye opener for a lot of people. Like, holy shit, this is why I'm so tight up here and and everything is kind of jammed up up top and it's it's not feeling right. Um, but that's and I think a- it's
2: such a simple thing. You don't even need to be in a gym. It doesn't cost anything. And no. I think, you know, I, I can't put statistics against it because I've not worked with enough people to have reliability and a number that comes out. But I think that if you had people doing this after having a baby, if you had people doing this through pregnancy, they would keep core engagement for longer. They would recover faster. Um, and I think you would have less right. prevalence of things like diastasis and pelvic floor dysfunction years down the line. Um, mm-hmm. So simple and so powerful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I also, I also think breathing technique should be something that's incorporated not just within um, kind of post-pregnancy and whatnot, but also with, with with everybody because you get a new client coming into the gym and you then you're explaining them how to breathe, how to hold, how to keep tense, etc., etc. and and because they're, they're thinking of something so basic that they do all the time, they actually forget what they're doing, you know, in terms <laughs> of like very fundamental movement. So it just even shows you you don't have to be going through um kind of post-pregnancy situations to to understand the benefit that breathing has on your actual main lifts in the gym For, even if you're a beginner intermediate or advanced it's always important to think and incorporate that into your actual movement itself
2: I think one of the ways that I kind of motivate it with people as well is um abdominals um and good abdominal control um, and you'll very often see someone who's not even had a baby and you'll put them down in any kind of position like a plank with a march um, a bear crawl something where you really need those transverse and those lateral abdominals to be firing in a balanced way with the rectus to provide stability but you'll see just regular people um, or even people who are great at sport do so much wobbling from side to side and that wobbling of the pelvis usually to me is an indication that those transverse abdominals those internal obliques aren't quite doing their job because they should be able to give themselves complete pelvic stability from the core from above down if they were using those muscles that's their job that's what they're there to do so that right to left shifting of the pelvis is showing that that person's not doing that now these breathing drills it's very hard to say to someone right i want I can do this exercise now guys right contract your internal obliques or contract your contract your lower and um, transverse abdominals It's one of those like reactive muscles. It's not something we consciously contract like a bicep. Um, It's hard to do. Breathing makes it so easy because an exhale breath is the first domino. And when you knock that domino over, if you exhale hard from a deep diaphragmatic breath, you cannot stop yourself contracting your internal obliques and your transverse abdominals. So while one can't be cued, the other is such an, an easy thing to cue. But you first of all have to teach someone how to get that deep inhale to do that exhale, and then you just know that you have those core muscles firing. So for women, especially in the postpartum period, where they've just lost connection with those transverse abdominals, internal obliques, because they come right down at the biggest part of the bump, stretched out and lengthened incredibly, that breathing drill is their first step to connecting with those muscles that they've lost. They've they've lost the ability to to control. Fantastic. That's a motivation for it because everyone wants to be able to use their core better.
0: Um, yeah and then that obviously like you say plays into a whole lot of other stuff low back issues hip issues um, so on and so forth um so it really is literally the foundation stone of of rebuilding the training experience um I
2: think I think so yeah there might be different perspectives um, but I think that uh, that that's my point of view for sure um
0: it's certainly where I start any postpartum client is is just redeveloping that connection between the sort of diaphragm and the, the pelvic floor and, and getting all that stuff fired up again um and it can be huge for a lot of people um
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: right i think that might be a good place to wrap things up um there's been a ton of information covered in there laura thank you so much um
2: well, thank you for having me
0: positive it's been good, good to talk to you guys whoever, yeah absolutely I think everybody'll benefit from listening to this one um, you know there's so much information in there. where can people get in touch with you for coaching for social media for all that sort of, sort of good stuff
2: um, my Instagram is just Lola loves yellow roses um, which doesn't tell exactly what I do I've had that Instagram for so long um, that it, it's not really relevant to business it's just kind of my own personal um, and then my email address is Laura at postpartumstrong.co.uk
0: fantastic um i'll pop those into the show notes and if anybody wants to get in touch to ask questions or find out about coaching um i'm sure they will uh take the plunge
2: thanks guys Um, and if you want any references i guess for anything that i've said um so show that to back it up (laughs) please let me know there's so there's so many good resources um yeah i can share that afterwards if there's any questions
0: yeah um anything that you think would be worth sharing. you can send over to me and I'll, I'll pop into the show notes and people can access them easily. Um, but yeah, there's a wealth of information in there. Um, and can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you, guys. Anything you want to finish up with, Callum?
1: Um, yeah, I was just going to say if you were going to give one, if you're going to give a person one nugget of information of all the knowledge that you've just dropped on this podcast because it has been so incredibly insightful, what would it be just to kind of give an umbrella? uh
2: tip. if you can oh, an umbrella tip to women in the postpartum period yeah
1: um
2: work with a coach um there you go. or you know or get or qualification yourself um there's so much that can be done um nothing has to be lived with um where your coach can help it can go so much of the way and then where your coach recognizes that extra help is needed they can let you know and refer out um but nothing is normal after having a baby and you should be able to expect to get back to any level of performance that you've had before that baby. Yeah,
1: awesome. Well said. said.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Hope you've enjoyed that. Um, As always, share it, like it, review it, all that good stuff. Um, If you have any questions, links are in the show notes, um, either for us or for Laura. Feel free to reach out with any questions that you might have. All right.
1: We will be back next week. And uh, yeah, have a great week. Catch you later. See ya.